This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. President Trump is calling for the Federal Reserve to lower interest rates to zero or below. But what would going below zero mean? Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, Japan, and the European Central Bank right now have negative interest rates. This is basically charging commercial banks to keep money in reserves, thus incentivizing them to lend more and spur economic growth. During the economic crisis here in the U.S., the Fed took interest rates to zero, but never into negative territory. But now, former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan says he expects to see them in the U.S. sometime soon. He says the demand for this will grow because the global population is aging and driving demand for bonds. Greenspan added that we should watch the yield on the 30-year note to see if negative interest rates are in the offing. But are negative rates good for the economy, and is Greenspan right to say it's coming our way? Etai Goldstein is a finance professor and economics professor here at the Wharton School. He joins me in studio on the phone. Joining us, Peter Connie Brown, assistant professor of legal studies and business ethics here at the Wharton School. And also on the phone, Lisa Cook, associate professor of economics and international relations at Michigan State University. Etai, great to see you. Good to see you. Thank you, Peter. Lisa, great to have you on the phone. Great to be with you. Thank you. Uh, What's your reaction to the statement by, by Mr. Greenspan, Etai? Um, I think it's certainly likely uh, that, that uh, we will see it. Uh, as you say, we see it in other countries in the world. Uh, I think the economic conditions all over the world are such that this becomes uh, more and more likely. Uh, I'm not going to say it will definitely happen, but, but I think it is certainly a possibility. Lisa? I would, I would certainly agree. Germany has had some of the conditions that we see in the U.S., some of the same headwinds that the U.S. Uh, faces uh, slowdown in growth in the European Union, uh, particularly in the Eurozone. And Germany has had negative rates for years now. So it's not, uh, it's not new. I think it's inevitable as well. Peter? All right. Let me be a contrarian voice here. Uh, I, I think that on, on the economics of it, I think problems of the aging population, demographics, uh, what's sometimes called secular stagnation, makes clear that if we don't have nominal negative interest rates, then it's likely we're going to be stuck at the zero lower bound with all kinds of uh, macroeconomic uh, and negative consequences that that suggests. But we've got to keep in mind that negative interest rates are an absolute political bugaboo. People lose their heads at the very suggestion that banks might charge them for the privilege of their savings account. Now, that's not the same as the Fed doing that to banks, but uh, uh, every member of Congress who's ever weighed in on this subject has done so uh, with real hostility. So I think that the Fed moving into negative interest rate territory as a matter of nominal policy would, would be uh, you know, grabbing the tiger by the tail. And I think that's enough of a check. There certainly was post-2008 to keep the Fed looking for other unconventional opportunities that would allow them to avoid exactly that kind of of, uh, political blowback. So, Peter, can you give us from the historical perspective, since you follow the history of the Fed so closely, why is it that, whether it be conditions or or, or other instances, why we have never seen that here in the U.S. before? Well, in part, we've got to understand uh, not just the history, but the economics of the interest rate structure. What what is implied by uh, a negative nominal yield? And what's implied is that we just don't have the same kind of economic growth and productive 
utilization of economic resources in the same way. So why haven't we seen that before? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, number one, because inflation has been pretty high, so we've kept that below the zero lower bound. And number two, and much more comfortingly, uh, because we've seen uh, better economic growth prospects throughout the economy. So we've not gotten this close to the zero lower bound where the tool of of negative interest rates has been a, a possibility. But we're here now, and as, as Lisa and Itai said, we're here the world over. Uh, so that represents both an economic and a political challenge to, uh, to the Fed um, for thinking about how they're going to navigate that, that brave new world. Lisa, if you can, th- th- within the comment that, uh, that uh, Fed Chair Gold, uh, Greenspan made, the comment about the fact that, that we have an aging population, can you link the two of those as to why uh, they, they seemingly uh, are a little bit hand in hand here? Well, um, yes. Um, well, we, we have a population that um, is not only aging, but leaving the workforce. And that has implications for, for two things. One is for um, the amount of uh, uh, amount of labor uh, available. We've seen productivity uh, slowing down, and um, that that is a, a, a separate issue. But it has uh, implications for the kind of uh, economy we've seen for advanced economies. So that's a more general trend for advanced economies. And the other implication is that. Um, more people will be uh, depending on uh, this is this is an implication, not a not a cause, but uh, more people will be depending on their savings, for example, um, and uh, this will have uh, tremendous implications for for them for retirement, for example. So um, an aging population is just something that uh, that we see in these uh, in these mature, industrialized economies. And I think that's the other thing that is different. You were asking, Peter, about the the history and the economics, and that's something that um, a lot of countries are are facing. So Japan, uh, European countries, um, this uh, this is the productive capacity, the integration of these economies. I don't think we've uh, seen in any age before in, in the sense that, you know, the Internet, for example, has connected um, small uh, landholders, uh, coffee makers in uh, Brazil to uh, people in the Midwest who would like to buy their coffee. I mean, we haven't seen this kind of integration before. So this uh, one economy is uh, facing all of the mature economies. And this is why we can't expect more than 2% growth, uh, realistically, as an advanced industrialized economy. Itai? Yes, I completely agree. Um, I mean, the economic fundamentals are such that uh, rates uh, are going to be lower. Uh, on top of that, I think we have to remember that the Fed and other central banks in the world are using the rate uh, as an attempt to either uh, stimulate the economy or slow down the economy. Uh, right now, they are attempting to uh, try to stimulate the, the economy. This is a way that they have to control where the economy is going. Um, and, and lowering rates is, is, a way, is, a way to, is a way to do it. When you lower rates, uh, you encourage uh, people and companies to spend, uh, to, to invest, and this is a way to, to try to, 
to try to uh, stimulate uh, things. Now, what, what we have been seeing uh, over the last uh, decade or even more is, you know, rates are uh, very low uh, and it doesn't seem to be enough. Um, and then central banks are asking themselves, okay, what can we do? Right. Uh, one way is to continue to lower rates below zero. Another way is, as Peter said before, uh, what uh, the Fed was doing and other central banks were doing during the crisis is to think more creatively, not just rates, but uh, you know, use other tools uh, like asset purchases, uh, known as quantitative easing. Uh, that is another way to try to uh, stimulate the economy. Or instead of lowering rates, maybe use things like forward guidance, where uh, you provide statements that uh, make people believe that rates will continue to be lower in, in the future. So, so things like that. I, I think one thing that we are seeing is that the, the Fed and other central banks are kind of, you know, it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to achieve uh, stimulus with uh, asset purchases and, and forward guidance and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is why the, the lower rates uh, are starting to be I- inevitable. And we may uh, start uh, running into this uh, zero lower bound uh, and, and maybe even co- causing it. Peter? I think, I think this is all correct. I think this is why being a central banker in 2019 is an extremely difficult job. It's, uh, it was more fun when Alan Greenspan was doing it in the late 1990s, for example. Um, but but I, think, I think part of the, part of the reason I would think uh, uh, as seriously about political economy as, as we do about the economics of, zero, of the zero lower bound and of negative interest rates is not just about the political fallout that would occur if the Fed tried to do this on its own, um, but also to inquire whether, in fact, the, the legal apparatus as it presently exists would permit this. Now, the Fed right now is engaged in a kind of introspection about the policy regimes that it uses to accomplish its statutory goals. Mm-hmm. Those statutory goals are written very broadly, right? Price stability, maximum employment, moderate long-term interest rates. Um, but uh, the mechanisms for accomplishing negative interest rates. How do you charge a bank that you normally had paid? Do they have the legal authority to do this? Yeah. Uh, I'm not, as a lawyer, I'll tell you, I'm not so sure that they do. I'm not sure that they don't. It's something that needs a lot more study and clarification. But even if it's uh, ambiguous, then the Fed acting on ambiguous legal authority to do something very, very dramatic has always historically uh, been the thing that has brought severe political attention to them. But then, the Fed is wary about that. But then, Lisa, I, I guess then if, if we really want to ha- have a better understanding, then it, it's taking a look at what some of the banks in Europe have been going through over the last uh, year sure. or two, uh, and maybe even specifically inside of Germany to the impact that they have had to, to deal with with the negative rates there. No, that's right. That's right. And in the European context, Investors were just looking for a place to preserve value, to preserve the value of their investment, and Germany was that place. So they've been facing it for some some time. This is almost a, you know, um, you know, a, a curse for those who for those economies uh, that are doing well. So the investors parked during the euro crisis. Investors parked their money in the U.S. They parked their money. In uh, Germany, and uh, Germany has has faced uh, these negative interest rates for for some time. But it's it's interesting that that Peter brings up and and appropriate that Peter brings up the political economy story. So 
I was at uh, Jackson Hole at the Monetary Policy Symposium at uh, Jackson Hole this year, and with with central bankers, um, you know, academics, and and so on. And one of the most striking things was that there was uh, a constant conversation about the uh, political constraints that and political factors that were imposing themselves that hadn't been either considered before or made it uh, nice to be a central banker (laughs) in a a different period. So, for example, um, how accommodative should monetary policy be? Um, How, um, you know, accommodative when the uncertainty is coming from um, politicians themselves? And then if we are looking to um, to to uh, increase economic activity, maybe policy, uh, fiscal policy, is what should be pursued. Now, um, in this environment, that is very difficult. Although there there is one thing that keeps being promised, and that's infrastructure. And even that could uh, be a stimulus package. That's what we looked to uh, during the Great Recession. So, so they were looking to other uh, other ways that the economy or these economies could be uh, stimulated. And that's, I think, the real question. Why is it that there's so much um, polarization such that fiscal policy uh, can't be as effective a, a tool uh, as well? So then, do you think, Itai, going back a decade, do you think then, looking back, there was a landscape to go to negative rates back at the time uh, of the recession with Ben Bernanke? What, was that a potential option for him? I think it was a potential option, um, but but I think overall what they did was fairly effective. Uh, I think it's difficult to go back now and say they should have done things differently. You know, the way they uh, reacted here at the Fed with asset purchases and, and forward guidance and so on uh, was fairly effective, right. uh, and 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 they acted before uh, the country before the ECB, for example, did, and and in some sense uh, did exactly. better. Um, the 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 question is whether the same thing uh, is still uh, going to hold today. Um, you, you know, I, I want to go back and say I, I do agree with Peter that there are political constraints, uh, potentially legal constraints. I, I think maybe they're not as severe now that people here in the U.S. see that other countries have done that. So I think people are more used to thinking now about uh, negative rates. U- ultimately. Maybe we spend a bit too much time thinking about zero as as the as the lower bound. Um, I think ultimately we all agree that there is a lower bound. It could be lower than than zero, mm-hmm. um, and and maybe we will find ourselves there. Peter, I I, I agree. I think that uh, to separate what's politically um, feasible and convenient from what's uh, economically required is is no simple task. And I think here we might look back on the post-2008 recovery, which was one of the slowest recoveries we've seen historically, and ask some hard questions. So suppose you know, the, the Fed was in a tightening process through much of 2008, didn't even drop to the zero lower bound until December of that year, uh, or, or maybe November, uh, after Lehman, uh, well after Lehman. Um, had the Fed in the counterfactual... Um, assume away the legal and political constraints, dropped nominal interest rates into deep negative territory, is it conceivable that the recovery would have been much, much faster? Yes, it is. This could be a very potent tool. And just as Itai said, given that we've tried all of these other things with moderate success uh, in post-2008, 
uh, there's a there's a viable question about whether or not these would work with the same efficacy uh, in the face of another great recession. And one thing we didn't try, deep nominal negative interest rates. So I think it's an experiment that could have uh, uh, huge welfare implications for everyone, positive right. welfare implications. Um, uh, and it just hasn't been undertaken yet. I think in part, uh, I think the history backs this up, because the Fed was skittish about trying it, given all of the mm -hmm. cover that it needed for things as unpopular as AIG and uh, and other maneuvers right. that they had they'd undertaken. Lisa? All right. So I think one part that is missing from this uh, conversation that central bankers and economists worry about a lot is inflationary expectations. So yeah. um, Itai is exactly right that the the conditions have changed. So we've seen these experiments in Europe. We've seen um, this experiment in the U.S. But how will individuals and firms react? Will they continue to wait for uh, further rate cuts, or will they continue to wait for uh, lower mortgage rates or um, lower um, interest rates on their loans, or will they uh, just, you know, will they hold? Will they buy? We don't know. This is completely new territory. We don't know how people and uh, firms will react, and they're the major uh, share of uh, well, of demand. Lisa, the, it's interesting you mentioned that because the, uh, I came across an article in Forbes that talked about that maybe to a degree we've already kind of seen zero or below zero interest rates here in the U.S. because of the, of the inflationary factor. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've hit our um, target of 2%, I think, twice in the last decade. Um, you know, this, uh, we've, we've barely uh, touched it. We've, we've tried to converge, and that's just not happening. And uh, the puzzle for economists is, is, is why. What has fundamentally changed as the underlying structure of not only our economy, but, say, mature, advanced, industrialized economies changed? Have they become uh, extremely uh, integrated? Uh, certainly, we know from papers about eBay or about Walmart and Amazon that uh, prices are being driven lower just because of this intense competition. And more of the world every day has access to Walmart and to Amazon. So I think that there are some other factors that are at play that we don't know about yet or that we don't understand uh, in terms of the role they play in the economy yet. Itai? Uh, yeah, I think inflation is really interesting uh, these days. Uh, that's really one of the biggest puzzles that economists all over the world are trying to, to understand. Uh, usually when you have low rates for, for a long time, you you will start seeing uh, inflation picking up and it's really not happening. And right. and I think right. that central banks all over the world are really trying to understand that. Um, I think it's it's time to really go back and, and challenge uh, sort of the, the old paradigms that we had. Uh, and and start thinking, as as Lisa says, that uh, you know maybe inflation is not going to react the way it did before because something structurally has changed. What what we do see is uh, is reacting to low rates is asset prices. I mean, asset prices are high um, across all all assets, stocks, mm -hmm. uh, bonds, real estate, and and so on. So mm -hmm. maybe this is where we we see the effect, but we don't see it in. Um, 
in prices of good. We don't see it in in inflation, and and it mm-hmm. it really sort of uh, I think challenges all of us to to think about what is uh, structurally different. Peter. Mm-hmm. I think that's right, and I think the Fed is doing this. I mean, uh, we we heard a hearing um, a month or two ago um, that was really a rather historical event, recognized that the Fed has made mistakes throughout its 100-plus uh, years of history, and it usually admits those mistakes after about 50 to 80 years. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, what we saw in, in open congressional testimony, when challenged, Jay Powell admitted that the Fed's key forecast, its key estimate of the, one of the most important indicators, the unemployment rate the, the, is the so-called natural rate, the rate uh, that it, it should be targeting, has been wrong, and not just wrong, badly wrong. And wrong because the model used to think about the relationship between inflation and unemployment seems to be uh, you know, absent without leave. And so this time for reexamining these regimes is is here. The Fed knows it. The question is how seriously the Fed is taking it. It's extremely difficult to take the Fed, not just because of the size of its balance sheet, but because of its the depth of its institutional commitments, and really radically reshape the way that it thinks about monetary policy. So I think the jury is out to see what we'll what we will do. But I'm I'm uh, I'm comforted by the fact that it you know we're not having this conversation, and it's. 2040, and we're talking about what yeah. happened in the in the 2010s. Yeah. Right, right, right. Lisa? Well, well, that's that's consistent with how we date recessions too, right? I mean, it's not in the moment, but uh, it's uh, it's with hindsight and with a lot more with a lot more data. And uh, I think um, uh, Dan, on this show, we have uh, talked about, or I've talked about, my hope in AI being one of the ways we can try to figure out uh, whether our old paradigms work, whether the relationships we understand or we've understood, we've been trained on, are actually still prominent, are actually still correct, whether those parameter estimates are still uh, right, if they're still relevant. Mm -hmm. So I think that we can push the boundary uh, of theory by – incorporating more AI into our models. And I think that um, I think the Fed is working along uh, several different dimensions. Um, and I think also uh, we need to be more uh, more guided by more understanding of, of history. That's what happened in 2008 when I was teaching uh, advanced macro and uh, the macro models that I had out and that I was teaching my students weren't working. Uh, so we cut out a quarter of the syllabus, and we started studying uh, more about the Great Depression to figure out what might be happening. So we have to become much more intimately um, aware of what happened to the data, what happened to these relationships, what uh, what the implications are for our research, our macroeconomic research. So I think that we have a big challenge uh, before us, and the Fed does too. So we're talking about a time, realistically, a, a, a possible fundamental shift here moving forward because of a lot of these different aspects that are that are coming into play right now. Yes, I, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, in, in the way that the Fed will conduct its interest rate policy, in the way that we should expect this to uh, uh, be reflected in inflation later on. Yes, I, I think we are uh, experiencing a fundamental shift. Peter? That's, I, I agree with Itai. Um, 
and we're at the we're at the beginning, not in the middle, and uh, a lot is left to be determined. You know, we have we have a tendency to see new things and assume new equilibria. Um, and there's good evidence. I mean, Japan has been uh, at or below the zero lower bound for a long time. But as as uh, Lisa was saying earlier, we simply don't know how markets in the world's largest economy uh, would respond uh, to will respond to this this new world if it is in fact a new world, or if we'll be having a conversation a few years from now about the explosive economic growth that we've seen or about high inflation that we never expected or about something new that might just be coming our way that we didn't anticipate. Itai? Yeah, I mean, one other thing that we should consider is the effect that all this will have on the financial system because, you know, banks uh, are used to work in a world with positive interest rates and this is how they make the spread and so on. And they might face difficulties uh, making money and generating profits in in a, in a new world like this because right. you, you know if, right. if if they have to pay to put their money at at the Fed but then they cannot necessarily uh, transfer these negative rates to their depositors uh, that might cause big difficulties for banks so that that's another thing that uh, I think right. we we need to think about Lisa and and, and for consumers so if they can't make money the traditional way they're going to try to make money. By uh, you know more fees and yeah. other you know ATM fees and other things, and I think uh, this will certainly raise uh, some safety and regulatory issues related to consumers. More of Wells Fargo. Great to have you all with us. Uh, thank you, Etai, for coming in. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Peter, Lisa. As always, great to talk to you on the phone. We will catch up with you soon. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Etai Goldstein from here at the Wharton School, along with Peter Conti-Brown and Lisa Cook at Michigan State University. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.